Actually, in these days, I had the privilege of going to Greenville, South Carolina, a place where I lived for about four years and, uh, and had the opportunity to preach from Romans chapter 9, the God's great passion for his people, and Romans chapter 10, the great charter for missions, and then Romans chapter 11, the promised revival of God's people that we had part of that read to us earlier. And so this morning, there's something in my own heart pulsating with those chapters, and I didn't preach from Romans chapter 12. And if you know Romans 12, it is one in which we read these words, Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of the world, of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And certainly there's something here of what we would call motivation to sacrifice, to an offering of our lives. And as we come to this passage, I just want to say, as we come to God's word, is always our great privilege, obligation, and burden that that word of God would go forth. We come not to entertain, we come to bring God's word. I am thankful that from this pulpit, Pastor John, Pastor Charles, Jeff, they bring God's word. The word of God is brought to us. And we have that thanksgiving to be joyful to hear God's word. 1 Peter 4.11 says, If anyone speaks, let him do so as the utterances of God. What an awesome responsibility. Let us pray. Lord, we have not come to hear the voice of men. We have come to hear your word, and we pray, O oh God, that you would visit us with your Holy Spirit to give us ears to hear, that we would hear that word in such a way that we would be motivated to sacrifice all that we are and have as living sacrifices for the glory of your name. We ask now, Lord, for your blessing upon us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you look at this book of Romans, it's really what we might call the masterpiece letter of all the writings of the Apostle Paul. It's the grandiose one. It's the letter that explains the gospel in the fullest way. And as we look at it down through history, those early Christians, yes, live with that gospel as foremost in their lives. It was that complete word of God that they were able to sound forth. Or we think of the martyrs. They died with parts of this word on their lips. This letter that Paul wrote. Yes, those who later came along. We think of St. Augustine. This massive intellect. This one who it would seem like he had an impact on the church of Jesus Christ for a thousand years. And then if you open up the reformers' writings, you'll find them quoting St. Augustine. How was he converted? Romans 13. 
you turn a page over, Romans 13, you know maybe some of you the story. He has that story of going in and reading these words, 13.13 of Romans. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe ourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the sinful flesh. Conversion. Change from all the great philosophies of his time to the one who began to give himself to expounding the word of God and his great writings. And of course, the reformers. We think of how that book impacted their lives. Uh, John Calvin's commentary on the book of Romans has a frontispiece. And if you notice on your way out, we have a mosaic there, and that is taken from the frontispiece of John Calvin's commentary on Romans, designed with that as a pattern. This little letter, in one sense, 16 chapters, as we call them, has had an impact in the world in a tremendous way. Robert Haldane, he went to France and expounded that in the university there. And all these young men came to Christ and they had an impact on France. They had an impact on other parts of the world. Or in our own time, a man that God has used in the reformation of our time, Dr. David Martin Lloyd-Jones, began preaching on that letter. And for 13 years, every Friday night, there'd be 1,000 to 1,500 or so people coming to hear Romans expounded by the doctor. In fact, he preached 10 sermons on Romans 12, 1 and 2. Interesting. We're only going to preach one sermon. As we come to this, though, there's something very beautiful here. And as we come to it, I believe it's so important for us to see that that which is central is his saying, I, the Lord says, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. And then as those words we had read to us, oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor, who or who has ever given to God that God should repay him? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Therefore, our text, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, this is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what is God's will, God's will is, the good, pleasing, and perfect will. Paul had a pattern. That is, he would, in a wonderful way, present the gospel. He would present doctrine in all of its depth, and then he would say, here is how we're to live the Christian life. 
Yes, it's great theology, but at the same time, based on that great theology, is how we are to live. So Paul here brings to us, I believe, two things. One, some things very positive. Here is what you're to do. And then some things that are negative. Here is what you're not to do. So first, with the positive. We usually like the positive, but it's very strong to us. It's speaking of how Paul is beseeching us to action based upon the mercies of God. And then he will speak to us about offering ourselves as living sacrifices. And then he has this element of being transformed by this word of God. So first, looking with me at this being filled with the authority of the Lord Christ, Paul beseeches us. Now, some of you may have the word urges us. Some of you may have the word in the English Standard Bible appeals to us. I kind of like this word, though, for the context of what's here of the old King James Version. Usually I'm not too fond of some of those and, uh, antiquated words, but here I think he captures something uh, when we translate it beseeching, because there's a warmth here. Paul is beseeching those who are brethren, brothers, and that includes in the language that he's writing in both men and women, both brothers and sisters. He's beseeching them, Christians, the family of God. It's not something for those outside. It's beseeching those who are Christians. So it is something very important here. And there's a key word that's there. It's upon the mercies of God. Chapters 1 through 11 is describing the grace and mercies of God. Over and over again, in all of its depth, when we were without strength, when we were sinners, when we were ungodly, Christ died for us. Mercies of God, Romans chapter 5. Or we look all the way back to Romans 1 and the horrible condition. But he died for sinners such as those. So there's something that is wonderful there. This key word of mercy. What we might speak of as amazing grace. How many funerals have you been to that there was the singing of amazing grace? We used to have uh, funerals sometimes in the morning when uh, one of our deacons, Bob Fassett, uh, would be the one helping me with the music, and uh, uh, he would sing Amazing Grace and then have the people join in. Actually, when we had Bob's funeral, it was an amazing moment because uh, we had the recording of Bob singing Amazing Grace, and Bob sang at his own funeral. Don't know if you've ever heard of such a thing, but it was uh, what took place. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind. But now I see that's the mercies of God. That's the beauty of it all. And then in our passage, there's a little word there. It looks kind of big to us. It's therefore. In the original, it's only three little letters. And it means... Therefore, and there's something very important that 
We're to experience it all anew. All that's gone on in those 11 chapters. Therefore, based on all of this, that's the basis to remember I am a sinner through and through, as we just sang a few moments ago. I'm still amazed at that. All the years that have passed by, every day we are to be more amazed. To offer myself as a living sacrifice, not once, but ongoing. That's what's here. Mercy, Romans 9, 29. Unless the Lord Almighty had left us descendants, we would have been, we would have become, or yes, like Sodom, we would have become Gomorrah. How important that therefore is there. And then notice what Paul does in this passage. I believe so important, and that's therefore we are to be living sacrifices to God. What are we living for? What are we living for? What is that which really, yes, grabs hold of us and is why we're getting up in the morning and what we're living for? The old catechism has that question, what is the chief end of man? And I hope we all know the answer. Man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. There's something there that's so basic to everything in life that we would enjoy him forever. How? Offering ourselves as a sacrifice to him. Certainly, when we speak of sacrifices, we think of all the Old Testament sacrifices. Not just those who were uh, special days, but morning and evening, every day, 365 a year, there were sacrifices, sacrifices, and they were bloody sacrifices. That is, the sacrifice was killed, and the blood flowed. All that was involved with that, the burning of the sacrifice, it was that which went on constantly. We as God's people have that reality. Christ has done it all. Christ has done it forever. Christ has made an end to all those dead sacrifices. He's done it forever. That great, it is finished, is a reality for us. There is now the reality that we are alive in Christ Romans 5.21 speaks of how sin reigned in death. Now grace reigns through righteousness to bring eternal life to us. We're alive because of what he has done for us. He died so that we could be made alive. You know the passage of Ephesians 2, verses 4 through 6. Dead in sins and trespasses, yes, but he makes us alive in Christ. There's the great reality of living sacrifice. Very different. And yet, there's something interesting here. It says we are to be offering our bodies. Much of the religions of this world and of the religions of Paul's time had a view of the body as being the prison of the soul. This body is really the problem. We can stop suffering in the body, then we can be spiritual. We can be out of the body. We can escape from the body. But Paul brings it right down to everyday life to present your bodies a sacrifice, a living sacrifice. 
The body in God's word is important. In fact, we would quite often think when we really go to worship God, we go out in the mountains in the great forest. We go up north in Arizona and the beauty of all this, or the Grand Canyon, or the ocean in its beauty and majesty, the great rivers of the world, or the great mountains, the Andes, or, or the Himalayas, or the Swiss Alps, or something. And we think, there is the glory of God. And certainly there is the glory of God. But God made man in his image. And he made us with bodies. And we're to present those bodies as living sacrifices. There's a reality to this. We've... we've have this element that we are to be offering on a continual basis ourselves as living sacrifices unto the Lord. Now, again, this is something that Paul speaks of as transforming. And it's really the third thing that Paul has in a positive way. We are being transformed The text says, by the renewing of our minds. The body is important, but the mind is also important. To believe is also to think. They're not separated. There is a oneness and a wholeness that we have as we present ourselves to the Lord. The word that's used there is transformed in our text. Elsewhere, it's used and translated transfigured. That is, Christ was transfigured on the mount. Yes, there was something was changing that took place. It's actually the word in the Greek where we get our word metamorphosis. Uh, in fact, turn a few pages over to 2 Corinthians 3.18. And there we have this word given to us again, chapter 3. And there we have this same word, and we, verse 18, who are with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory, are being metamorphosed, are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. And so as we have this word, it's something of being transformed into his likeness as Christians. It's an ongoing process. In fact, it's important, I think, to capture that, that it is a process. It's not suddenly you can pray a prayer and your life is just like it should be, and suddenly, somehow or another, you're without sin and problems. It's a process that's going on. We know something maybe a little bit about that kind of ugly creature called a caterpillar, you know, it might be up there on my tomato plant eating the leaf right now, uh, but sooner or later, you know what it does, it hangs upside down, and something amazing takes place in a bit of time in this process, and it comes out a beautiful butterfly flying, amazing, metamorphous, and that's the process as Christians that we are involved with that God's Holy Spirit is working and doing in our lives. As we look at this, there's a process here that takes place by the renewal of our minds. How we see evil, how we see all the issues of 
of life, whether it be uh, the economy or sex or business or everyday elements of family, all of these areas, there's coming about a life-changing element through God's word as we understand all of life. That is the word that transforms us, and it's that revealed word of God that is good, pleasing, and perfect, as Paul says. It's a word that is good, and we can trust that word. Paul is beseeching us. We are to be living sacrifices, very positive things we are to do, to be, yes, responding to his beseeching us upon the mercies of God. Yes, to be in that process of offering ourselves to the Lord and being transformed by his word. That is very positive. But he has one statement in here that we must not ignore. It's a statement there in verse 2, I believe, that you'll see. It's what I might call the power of negative thinking. Now, I know we've been sold as a culture on the power of positive thinking. But I believe Paul brings to us here, there's something powerful about not doing certain things. And Paul says, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. And I believe there are things very important for us today to not conform as God's family. First of all, to think with me, the logic of this world without God. The world can kill 60 million of their own babies. This world, America, the United States, we speak of what's taken place since 1973, or the 2,360 babies, it would seem daily. It seems like insanity, but it's written as something that is good for women, good for mothers, to kill their own babies. It's insanity. It's also called murder. So as we come to the logic of this world, we must see that it really is an insanity to follow that logic. The famous line from an opinion of the Supreme Court, Planned Parenthood versus Casey, I quote, at the heart of liberty is the right to define one's own concept of existence of meaning, of the universe, and of the mystery of human life. No, there's no cosmic order that we have to conform to. That's insanity. You can't determine what your own existence is. You can't determine the existence of the universe. It's ridiculous. But that's the logic of our world today. The logic of our world denies reality. It's a big lie. Don't conform to it. Can it be that a mark of a civilization killing its own babies is something good? What insanity. 
Second, I would like for you to just walk with me for a moment about how the world thinks of greatness and what takes place with the world's way of greatness. I know there's a few here in our congregation that know a little bit about chess. And there's uh, one man from this country who became the great chess player, Bobby Fischer. He died at the age of 64, a child prodigy of, of those 64 squares. He really did have an amazing, amazing uh, uh, impact on the world of chess. As a teenager, he became the grandmaster of the world, teenage grandmaster. He was the first American to triumph over Russia, Boris Spassky. And the Russians said, a revolutionary breakthrough for world chess. He was an American chess champion at 14. He was, as the World Chess Federation president said, a phenom and an epic in chess history and an intellectual giant I would rank next to Newton and Einstein. Bobby Fischer was so full of himself that he despaired of life. So full of himself, at the end of all this, he praised the 9-11 bringing down the towers. He gave himself to insanity, really. The world's logic of greatness is to believe a lie and to believe in one's own greatness and reject God, who is the one who is truly Great, for of him and through him and to him are all things. The problem is not with the facts and the evidence, but with the hearts of men. That's where the real problem is. I think it's interesting that Einstein, who had so much to do with the nuclear world we live in, wrote, the problem lies in the hearts of men. What terrifies us is not the explosive force of the atomic bomb, but the power of the wickedness of the human heart. Beware of being conformed to the greatness of this world. It will destroy you. Well, warfare can be a very dangerous thing. We are to be those who enter in and our battle is not against flesh and blood, but it's against those powers, those forces of evil that are very real. And we are not to use the weapons of this world. If we do, we are conforming to their way of life. We are to present ourselves as living sacrifices to the Lord. I'd like for you to look on the back of your bulletin with me. And I believe there's something that is good for us to do in thinking as family, as Christians. How do we present ourselves to the Lord. And I would like to have us read this together. Jonathan Edwards, who is, as we would think, as a Christian man who wrote with God's word, there is a uh, beauty of his being just as a Christian man, his presenting himself daily unto the Lord as an offering, as a sacrifice, a living sacrifice to the Lord. So I'd like to just read this with you and as we would think of how we would present ourselves as living sacrifices. Jonathan Edwards at age 20 wrote these words, 
I have been before God and have given myself all that I am and have to God so that I am not in any respect my own. I can claim no right to my understanding, will, or affections. Neither have I any right to this body or any of its members. No right to this tongue, these hands, these feet. No right to these senses, these eyes, these ears, this smell, or this taste. I have given myself completely away and have not retained anything as my own. I have this morning told him that I take him for my whole portion in happiness, looking on nothing else as any part of my happiness, nor acting as if it were, and his law for the constant rule of my obedience, and would fight with all my might against the world, the flesh, and the devil to the end of my life and that I believe in Jesus Christ and receive him as Prince and Savior, and that I would adhere to the faith and obedience of the gospel, however hazardous and difficult the confession and practice of it may be, and that I did receive the Blessed Spirit as my teacher, sanctifier, and only comforter, and cherish all his actions to enlighten, purify, confirm, comfort, and assist me. This I have done, and I pray for the sake of Christ to look upon it as a self-dedication and to receive me now as entirely his own and deal with me in all respects as such, whether he afflicts me or prospers me or whatever he pleases to do with me. I believe there is a place for us to, yes, give ourselves on a daily way, but also there are moments that God uses in our lives to present ourselves, our bodies, all that we are, be renewed by our minds. We have a number of you are reading, and I would encourage all of you to pick up a copy of Through Gates of Splendor. If you haven't read that, I would uh, encourage you to grab a copy. If you've read it, read it again. There's something there of how these Young men gave themselves for the glory of God to a task of taking the gospel to the Aka Indians. And yes, in 1956, Roger Udarian, Ed McCulley, Pete Fleming, Nate Saint, and Jim Elliott, they had lived their lives ministering to the Quechua tribes and peoples there, but they had this this thing of how can we take the gospel to the Aka tribe that was so savage. Even the Quechuas named them as savage and naked. That story, to me, unfolds something of the beauty of how then, after their death, they're giving their lives, Jim Elliott's wife and Nate Saint's sister, They were able to take the gospel to them and live among them and see those that God had purchased through Jesus Christ come to Christ and see a nation changed with the gospel. Jim Elliott wrote something in his college days at Wheaton that his wife later reported to us. It's a famous word of Jim Elliott. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. 
Let us pray. Our Father, it is a privilege to come to you and offer ourselves to you, whether it be that of those who are preparing meals daily, or those who are caring for children, educating their children, those who are in the business world with all the push and shove of this world trying to squeeze us into its mold. Lord, we do come hearing that, that word based upon your mercy that we would present ourselves as living sacrifices. Oh Lord, we do pray that you would work in all of our lives afresh, that we would understand and never get over how amazing your grace and how you've been merciful to save us from our sins. Teach us, O oh Lord. Revive us. Take our hearts and our lives, even as we would sing this prayer, seated and before you, as we would sing, take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. That's our prayer this day. Work in our lives, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.